Hi, welcome to Brock and Dave's DrillerCast. I'm Brock Yorty, and as always, I have my excellent host with me, Dave Bowers. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Brock. How are you? Doing good. It's um, it's Monday morning of Labor Day, and we have taken quite a bit of a hiatus of, uh, you know, six weeks. And um, the holiday weekend, the rest, the pause has been good. How has your weekend been? My weekend's been wonderful. I've been uh, attempting to uh, do a little kayaking and some some fishing. Uh, I do fishing. I don't do a lot of catching, which is problematic. But I'll get I'll figure that out at some point. Um, but it's been really good. I'm actually going to be on vacation for the rest of this week. So you know, uh, our big event at my facility, our picnic, was just last weekend. So I think we went uh, about 19 days of, of work in a row without, uh, without a pause. So, uh, you know, this per- particular vacation time was uh, well-deserved. And um, the event was everybody in the operators union for the... Well, we, it, it, we had no idea how many... We do a, uh, a, what we call a family picnic. But it's a little different than most family picnics. Uh, in past years, we've gotten 10,000 people, and it's run just by the instructors and our facility. We we um, didn't know because of all the issues with, with uh, COVID and some other things how many people we were going to get this year. Uh, so we prepped for 10,000, not knowing for sure if we would get 10,000 or we would get 150. We had no idea. Um, as it turned out, it re- really well, it was between four and 5,000, which is really comfortable and because it gives us some room to move, uh, cause the instructors themselves were the ones who worked the picnic, do the cooking, do all that, uh, as along with our apprentices, our apprentices, all work the picnic and four hour shifts to give back to the, to the journey workers who've come before them, which is uh, fitting because, you know, we're sitting here on a day off that was not given to us, earned for us by uh, workers demanding uh, their equal rights and and really, the Labor Day come out of the eight-hour workday uh, fight. Uh, those of you, the the few of you that watch on um, on your computer, the scene behind me is at Haymarket Square in Chicago. Uh, I believe it was eighteen is late eighteen hundreds. It was eighteen seventy something, eighteen eighty something. Uh, there was a uh, demonstration for the eight-hour uh, workday, and uh, at the time, business in general was against it. They were working, you know, 12, 14, 16 hours a day. It was the average workers what he would work, and uh, the what the workers wanted to demand was eight hours of work, eight hours of rest, eight hours for what. I will be is what for whatever you want to do for eight hours. That was the the appeal of the eight hour workday, and um, in a a large uh, 
uh, grouping of, they had a bunch of speakers. It had been going on. It started in the afternoon and it was getting towards the evening. Uh, and the city of Chicago police had come in and were going to start trying to break up the, uh, uh, the demonstration. It had been peaceful up to that point. There had been no reason to do anything. And somebody, and no one knows quite who, uh, they, there's some talk that it, there was an anarchist that, that decided to try to start this. Somebody threw a bomb into the crowd and it became a, uh, all out cause the police obviously thought that they were, they were being fired upon by the workers. The workers thought the police were firing upon them. And, uh, I believe, and don't quote me on this because Sometimes numbers jumble in my head. As you know, I'm dyslexic, but I believe 34 uh, people died uh, in that in that uh, in the melee that that uh, uh, followed that. And it the I believe it was eight or ten policemen that died. A uh, statue was erected to the, for them to the policemen within about a year a number of uh even though they had no no credible evidence a number of the the labor leaders went to jail and were hung over this and uh there was never anything for the workers who died in this that were just there for their trying to to for get an eight-hour workday until the 19 19- 80s when the statue behind me was finally erected in the 1980s when a hundred years before you know the few policemen that had died had the city had had put something together for them and there's no evidence that the that labor themselves had anything to do with uh the spark that caused it but that's just one of you know hundreds of things over over the course of uh, the last 150 uh, years that labor has attempted to improve their conditions, right? And everybody says, well, it's not that big of a deal, an eight-hour workday in, in water. Well, oh, well, we work way more than eight hours. Your employers, uh, or employees, rather, they receive overtime when they, at least when they're over 40, some places like where I am, if it's, a, if you work over eight, uh, the reason that is, is this eight hour workday fight because eight times five is 40. Anything I do over that, the government demands that if I'm an hourly employee, I have to receive compensation for that. Uh, that's part of this fight weekends, all that kind of stuff, not being able to employ your 14 year old kids. You know, um, back same period of time, if you were a minor in Pennsylvania, uh, if you were killed in a mine accident, you lived in the company store. If you had a child over the age of 14, they had to go to work. That's it. There was no discussion, no nothing. Your child had to go to the mine immediately. Uh, if it was an explosion that that killed you, um, they delivered your, your body to your front door in a bucket. 
And if you, your widow who lived in that company store, if you didn't have that child over 14 that could go to work, she had 24 hours to find a suitable replacement or she was out on her ear. I mean, and you think, well, that it can't be. Look at other countries that, that don't have this. You know, when you look at the child labor and all that stuff going on, you know, in the pursuit of money, people will do horrible, horrible things. And it would happen here as well if it wasn't for the fight of those ancestors that we have. And it's, you know, the working class came from the farms, came from crops, came from building, you know, the United States. So we have all of these folks that came from seasonal urgency. So we had situations of we need to have everything planted and then we got to start building what's going to be for storage so that we can survive the winters. It's it's Labor Day. We either have 45 good days of, you know, weather up here in Michigan, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, you know, the Midwest. And, and we can see um, many of our brothers and sisters in this industry in the South and in Northeast with the hurricane seasons, you know, that's really put a hiccup on their timelines. So the, the 12 hour, it was our culture. Our culture was to work as much that we could to be able to set ourselves up for when we couldn't work. And then big business got involved and it was about maximizing you know, productivity, and we didn't have advanced technology. Um, not to say that there aren't civilizations much, much, much older that had figured out better ways of moving, you know, crops and storing and how how we could. We just as a young, brutal civilization said, you know what, we have to work hard because that's what it's going to take to, you know, become who we are. And um, yeah, I remember learning about the Haymarket riots. And um, at that same time, there were, there was a riot in, you know, uh, New England, you know, there was one in New York. Um, It was given as we were in the middle of the industrial revolution that in building a skyscraper, 25 to 30 men would die. You know, um, and there's a really great, I just picked up this, uh, somebody sent me this link to this article that was talking about construction projects um, and fatalities and uh, how they relate, you know, modern Marvel construction projects from the Golden Gate Bridge to, you know, the, the first skyscraper that they put up that they only had one fatality, you know, where it was two to three men a week or in a couple day period. And so there was a lot going on that we needed to, as the, as the blunt force labor needed to speak up because it's, it's not appropriate for someone to be carving out a good life for themselves in a dangerous situation. And we, in the drilling industry do this all the time. We, what is an acceptable risk? What, what are we going to get into today? What, 
what is the situation? And um, sure, can we work a 12-hour day or can we work an 18-hour day? Um, I know many young men that brag about running casing for 48 hours straight. And uh, I was on a job with shifts and uh, everybody wanted to stay because it was the camaraderie and the brotherhood and this like, we're going to, we're going to hammer through, we'll get the casing set. They'll put the first lift of cement in and then we have downtime. And why wouldn't we just take all our downtime then? You know, well, as you get into our number 14, our fatigue, our mind, not to mention if it's the middle of the night, there's a reason why on drilling projects, you know, night shift things go sideways. And it's because our mental capacity was never, you know, it takes months and years to get good at working a third shift job, you know, and re redeveloping how our mind is supposed to be working. And so we get in on these jobs and we're working these late, late, late hours. That's when injuries happen. That's when bad choices happen. Well, I always thought that the reason things went sideways on night shift is because day shift took all the gravy and left night shift to do all the hard stuff. Hey, you get there and you're like, Hey, what do we do? Hey, you're tripping. See you later. What? What? You know, uh, no. And that's, but no, why it goes crazy is just like you said, you know, fatigue. Uh, it's, it's actually called a uh, fatigue stress. It's like any other kind of stress. You're a little bit of stress is okay a lot of stress and your performance drops off rapidly and fatigue stress at the end of a shift, something that could happen at the beginning of a long shift like that, you could make the right decision at the right period of time and nothing bad happened. At the end of the shift, it's much more likely that either your decision comes too late or you're recognized the hazard comes too late or you just don't make the right decision right see it and that's why those those injuries and stuff tend to happen the, the same thing happens with that gentleman and uh, who's ready to retire who knows hey this is my last month this is my last his mind sometimes isn't on the work all the time and uh, I, I see it way too often, and I think you probably do as well. In my in my careers, uh, uh, safety instructor, we're we're doing research. You're a you're a company safety man uh, now as well. Is where you see somebody who's in their last year or in their last, and something bite them, and and it's a, a major uh, injury or fatality that doesn't make any sense. Because, man, how could they let that happen? But their mind is in. I just had a gentleman that worked for me that uh, he didn't get hurt. But the last two months, it was like, hey, dude, what are you, what are you doing? Just so it, his mind, he had nothing but uh, being 
done on his mind. And he just, it, he was not himself. So I'm going to say from a culture standpoint, and this is exactly, you know, at some point, um, us as a drilling industry needs to realize like it's a, it's a brotherhood. It's a sisterhood community, regardless if we are, um, union or non-union. And in, from a cultural standpoint, I can think if I channel, you know, 25 year old, you know, driller Brock listening to what Dave just said about, you know, here's a guy and in two months he's going to retire. I think there's maybe less than a dozen non-union drilling companies in the United States that actually have men that are planning or women that are planning to retire. Like, because again, the same as the 12 hour or 14 hour workday because of the farm, um, you know, grandpa continued to mow hay and, you know, do all of the things on the farm until he could no longer. And so we, we don't get it. And it's, again, just like, uh, I loved what you said about, you know, eight hours for work, eight hours for rest and eight hours for me time, because it's absolutely, it's absolutely appropriate. And it's that eight hours of, what are you doing? And it's also, we're working hard. So there's a moment where we can shift to retirement mode. And uh, I'll, I'll wait till we get towards the end of this, to shift this into a, you know, a disappointment and retirement um, for the, for the blue collar worker that's doesn't have retirement that, you know, is just continuing to grind it out. But that's the importance. We all should be looking at make the impact while our bodies are able bodies and we're not working stupid and we're working smart, but that we get to have that moment of getting in the truck and going and seeing Mount Rushmore or, you know, getting to go to the South Atlantic drilling Jubilee and just, hang out you know and we we again in this construction culture like it's it's the tough man contest to oh well i'm yeah sure maybe i could retire at you know 65 you know my my father-in-law retired in his mid-50s you know career military retired as a major then went to work for a university you know and he's not yeah, he's retired because he planned and he's at this point, but he's doing woodworking. He came out here and uh, helped us with some house projects. He's playing with the grandchildren. He's he's still making impact. Well, retirement is not stopping living. It's again, it becomes I'm doing what I would like to do now myself. When, when, if I ever get a chance to, right? I mean, I, I will retire. I have the, I have the means necessary to do it, but I don't know when that'll be, right? It, it, 
if it's 60, 65, it won't be after 65, I can tell you that. But uh, whatever the case may be, when I retire, the plan is not for me to retire and then sit in on a couch all day. And then I think that's anybody, that, especially in this industry, because nobody sat around. The people who their retirement doesn't last any any long, long period of time, uh, a lot of times it's because they need that thing to drive the next thing. The only difference is it's the thing you want to do. Uh, so if you don't have that, and, and I'm kind of in that boat, I'm, you know, I do a little of this and I do a little of that, but I don't have a thing that I see, you know what, when I stop working, this is what I'm going to devote all of my or majority of my time towards. Uh, when I find that, I know that my wife wants to be near enough to a beach that we could drive there within an hour, but not so close to a beach that the hurricane comes and gets us, right? That's what her, what she wants to do with retirement. So I got to figure out, well, how do you fund that as well? How do you? And so I think we're all in a similar boat when it comes to this. That, But the thing that is a little different in my situation, somebody thought of some of these things for me on the financial end, right? Where the, the way the pension is funded and this, that, that stuff's been thought for me. If you and I and I started non-union, if and I have two 401ks from two different companies that I work for that are doing okay. Um, but if you're a and it's gonna sound crazy, I'm talking 25-year-old Brock again, right? 25-year-old driller out there, look at those things. Try to figure. How do I maximize what I'm putting into that? If I if I have enough to live and I have enough to do the things that I want to do, can I increase what I'm putting towards my retirement so that I'm not in a boat where I, I know a number of people that are just, hey, I can't retire. There, it's physically impossible for me to retire because I made bad choices back when I was in my 20s and 30s. And I never saved for anything. I never tried to get ahead a uh, for later. And you know that in this industry, that is a that is a very stark, I, bleak. I think it's a better uh, word uh, future because unless you can rise to the point where you're a tool pusher or you're some sort of craft foreman or you're running bidding jobs or doing those things for the company, unless you have that ability, now you're looking at uh, in your later years running a rig, which is not always uh, as easy for someone that as they get older as it could be. Now, that being said, I've known some older drillers that, uh, are still beasts at, at their age, but some of it is just learning. And if you ask them, uh, you know, you'll get answers like, well, hey, uh, hey, how, how did you do that? Uh, it's kind of, you know, 
grit and old man strength. That's what they want. That's what they're doing because they, they don't have a choice. Uh, so don't, you can be that guy if you want to be that guy then. Right. And you walk away. That's the difference. You walk away when you decide to walk away. And I think that's, that's what I want to, I want desperately to get through to 25 year old Brock. Cause it wasn't until 33 year old Dave, uh, that, that I got the opportunity I have now. Uh, you know, so I spent from 18 year old Dave or actually 16 year old Dave up to 33 year old Dave doing the same thing that those gentlemen are doing, you know, and I was lucky. I worked for a company that had a pretty good 401k employee stock ownership, all these things, uh, that are still all doing okay. That company is, is doing well. But again, somebody else thought of it for me because it wasn't important then. And now at my current age, I'm looking at all those things going, okay, uh, this is this, this is this. Okay, when does it make sense for me? When can it make sense for me? All right. Uh, by the letter of the rules, I could say I'm done next year, just like your father-in-law. But looking at all those things, does it make sense? Probably not. It's a pretty significant pay cut, uh, you know, and do I want to attempt to live on that for that period of time? Probably I don't. So, you know, staying another four or, or, or six or eight years could be the difference between not changing my lifestyle when I retire. And really, that's what we're after, right? You want to figure out how can I continue to live the way my family lives and do what I want when I want. Uh, some of the owners of some of our companies, they're already doing that. But if you really ask them, they'll say, no, man, I'm buried. Right? Especially now you've got some of the smaller companies that uh, if they've struggled to maintain their work crews and they've got some, some guys that have, have left and now you get the owners that are out there. I talked to a, a gentleman the other day that they're desperate. The uh, co-owner is out every single day uh, and traveling and doing all this stuff. And he's, he's, he needs another guy uh, as a driller and the guy he was developing to be that guy quit because there was another opportunity across town that uh, was going to give him a little bit more. So this guy put all this money into development of this, of this kid and all this time in developing this kid and kid decided to go work for a competitor because competitor wasn't going to travel as much. All right. So I think, it becomes very difficult. So it all leads back to something we talked. Uh, how do we make this a career for our people? So they see working for this company is a career and we're looking towards because he was developing him to be a uh, driller, but the, he had not given him uh, a long term. This is what I see for you work with me. All right. And the, the kid didn't see that 
the stuff he left for was available where he was at probably within a month or two. You know, um, we joke a lot because I've, you know, I worked for the family business and, you know, 25 year old Brock got to see what it was to have like major insurance, you know, blue cross blue shield of Texas along with dental and, you know, all of the benefits package that Halliburton handed out, you know, versus what I had at the family business, not to mention, you know, the housing market had slowed up. The company was being impacted by that because of uh, just what had happened in the two thousands. So I get to go to, you know, Halliburton and I'm seeing, you know, the, the whole idea of, you know, what it is to work for some, a bigger company with more upward momentum, you know, all sorts of different divisions to work for. But at the same time, um, my retirement gets shifted out because I spent four years in college from a blue collar family that didn't, didn't have college funds. You know, I was, I was old enough that I was independent and I, you know, took out student loans. And in that time, those loans were, you know, subsidized and unsubsidized, but depending on where you fell and I was working for a drilling company and, you know, had a new pickup truck and was making enough of a salary to that, that I didn't qualify for many of the federal student loans. So here I am, you know, in my mid twenties, looking to see how I can make the next, you know, $5,000 a year, $10,000 a year so that I can offset my student loans with where I'd like to live, you know, where I would like to, you know, be able to look to start a family. And we fail in the construction industry and looking into somebody's mind or heart and saying, what do you really need? And we fail on that for two reasons. One, we're so busy trying to grow the business and that we're so passionate about the business that it seems that uh, everybody else should be as passionate as we are, but they don't have the skin in the game. They have different skin in the game. They have the I'm going to have a baby in four months. And when my wife, girlfriend, fiance is done with maternity leave, we're going to put this child in daycare at $350 a week. And suddenly we don't have an additional $1,400 a month to do daycare. The other half of that is we talk retirement or we talk about the old timers And it's like, when you ask somebody that's five, seven years out from being out of the industry, potentially, they'd like to be out of the industry. You know, you ask them, well, what are you going to do? And they, they talk about the next couple of years, this is going to go on. And then, you know, maybe the last year or two, I'll do some teaching for the company. And it's like, why do we have to pretend to be retiring to be mentors? Why are we waiting that long? If we want a company culture and we want people to stay and we want them to improve and do better because let's say Billy, the guy that um, 
learned everything from one company and then ends up at a company across town because it's less travel. Obviously, there's a reason less travel because if there's a Susie at home that's going, hey, um, I need your help in the evenings. Maybe Billy Jr. has decided to start, you know, acting out more, right? Like there's, there's, there's more to life than work. And it really comes down to if we want our people to stay, we have to teach them everything we know. And we need to know everything about them. We really need to know what they need to drive. And that is what's beautiful about a union program or a larger company that can have a little bit more expansion and be able to look at those things or understand the importance of, you know, retirement. Well, and and I like I said I I don't think it's it's just a union thing, right? Uh, I've worked for companies that were union, did all the stuff right on a contract, and they don't that don't really know or care anything about their individual employees. I've worked for uh, some people that, man, that guy he's worried about. Uh, hey, what do you need when he's scheduling? Trying to figure out, hey. Can you do this? Is this going to be a problem if you had to go out of town these these three weeks back to back? What's it gonna? What are you gonna miss? What is? I've worked for those guys, both union and non-union. Uh, and then you, they make the decisions where they can to make it as best for you. Now, sometimes skill and ability, like as you know, come into factor where heh, I need this guy on that project, and so. When that said, if 90% of that is just communicating to your employees so they understand, because, you know, I've done a lot of jobs that were quote unquote in town, but in Chicagoland, a job that's a hundred miles away in Chicagoland still might be a three hour commute depending on what time I'm, I have to drive it. I, Dave, I just was working on two, you know, uh, tank projects that were um, Lombard and Schriller Park. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking Lombard to O'Hare. Uh, 15 miles is what Waze says. Yep. Hour and 35 minutes. That's right. That's about right. Okay. It depends on what time of day you travel. So now, as long as that job is not in the middle of a subdivision or, or somewhere where they say, I, you can't start until 8 o'clock. Okay. If I can't start till 8 o'clock and you want me to go, you know, even 40, 50 miles uh, and I have to travel during rush hour, my away time is going to – and then – it might annoy me because I'm going there and there's somebody who lives right next to that job who's driving near my house. But the skill and ability or what the job entails is why it has to be the cruise. But it's acceptable to the crew as long as you say, all right, this is what this entails. This is, this is why I need you. I need you on that project. Because, uh, 
hey, we bid this one really tight. It was very competitive. It's tight. We got to make the money. And, you know, you're the more efficient driller of the two. I need you in that project. What driller is going to go, oh, I'm still mad I have to drive. No, he's going to go, you know what? Okay, I, I got that. But he gave me a reason. And the reason actually was a compliment to me. All right. Now yeah, the other guy, stroke right? Because drillers, we all have them, right? And usually, I don't know. I've never met a driller in my entire life, and I think I've told told you guys on the podcast this before. Every driller is the best driller, except when you ask every driller the best driller they know, none of them will say them. There's always that guy that they learn from. That guy, right? He was the best, or is the best, or whatever. Um. But they all have the EO. Use that to your advantage. If, if I'm the company owner, use that to my advantage to say, okay, I know that, you know, this is a bad situation. I need you here. Here's why I need you. If you let them know that stuff, they're usually pretty good about, okay, this sucks that I have to drive that period of time at that time, at that date, or whatever the case may be that, that, but it all comes back to if I communicate well with them, they'll understand why we're doing it. It's the same. You you talk about, you know, explaining every one of the um, job sensitivities or the, the project goals every single time to the, not just, hey, go do this project, but here are the goals and here are the things that we believe are important. And when things aren't running this, let's have a meeting and figure out why we're not meeting these goals so that maybe we get a change order. But if you don't tell us what you're seeing or what's going on, why something's different than what we expected, we can't go get a change order. Right? So we want to make the best decisions and, and communication is the only way to do that. And it, it leads to so many things. Um, you know, I, my article this, this month in uh, the drawer uh, started out, it was primarily about training, but it really was about communication. The opportunity that we had to uh, talk to somebody at last year's virtual groundwater show that led to a wholesale change in uh, what we were doing for some of our third year uh, apprentices by bringing subject matter experts and pumping in, right? And it just led to a simple conversation after a, after a, uh, a presentation that the company gave led to opening up a vast amount of knowledge that now can be uh, conveyed to these apprentices that, you know, is beyond what I myself would be able to convey or, De or Derek, my the other guy I trained with, right? We already use subject matter experts that really, you know, enhance what we were doing. They didn't come in and take over. They came in and enhanced what we were doing. 
and the industry will benefit for it. And so that's one of the things I challenged uh, everybody at the end of my article. If, if the training, you said that gentleman who, oh, and I'm going to train in the last uh, couple of years of my, I'll come in and I'll teach the company what I know. Well, you're right. Mentoring should start earlier. But how often do you hear, oh, man, you know, I got to go to this thing or we got this. They made us take this day off. It would be a Friday where no one's working. We're going to do this training thing and they don't, there's no buy-in. Well, the only way to get buy-in for that thing is that somebody knock it out of the park one year. And the guy that they used to work with or still might work with telling them how he does things may not be the, the spark that they need. They may need someone who's a subject matter expert from the outside to say, hey, because just because your company uh, has been successful and they're doing things this way, here's what the industry is seeing. Here's what's coming up that maybe you guys don't know about, or here's where we hear you're struggling. We've looked at, I, I had a number of years ago, um, a large nationwide water well company on their safety day uh, tell me they wanted tongue presentations. And I'm like, what do you need a tongue presentation for? So as I started going through it, I realized what they were doing. I said, okay, you're using uh, makeup tongs for breakout tongs. But in talking to the guys during the presentation that I gave, I was able to say, okay, um, this is are the things you have to do. Make sure it's the right pins, right jaws. Make sure you use the right tongue. And the guy raised his hand. It's like, well, they won't buy them for us. And I smiled and I said, they will now because they just trained you on it. They just trained you on the proper way. So now they don't have a choice. And the president of the company was standing in the back of the room. And I just saw the look on his face like, you know what? He's right. We've been we've been concerned about the injuries ha happening from uh, these tongs uh, failing, but now we understand what's going on. And so, all of a sudden, now the, I'm sure their drillers and tool pushers had come to their middle management a thousand times and said, "I need the right parts." But the company at the time was trying to be sold and some other things going on, and they didn't want to spend money. Now, the president of the company stand in the back of the room and heard what was going on. But not from his the worker's perspective. From my perspective, as pr presenting, hey, don't do this. And the questions led to what was going on. So... The training benefited the company. They reduced their injuries, in, and it allowed for the workers to get the tools that they needed to do the job safely. And really, that's what not that what we're really all striving for? It is. It is. And um, it the same as fighting for what was right to have an eight hour work day or being paid 
overtime, uh, quality of life. Like these aren't things we should be sacrificing in the drilling industry. These are things we shouldn't be sacrificing in the construction industry, you know, and it's um, mentoring is an immediate, everybody should be, if we're hiring, um, promising people that we want to have be part of our company, we need to let them know that their voice matters, their input matters. They are part of the collaboration. And that's, um, we do a poor job with that, you know, where, well, you've only been here six months. Why, why should you know that these makeup tongs aren't right? You know? And so it's, um, just having collaboration. That's what, you know, let's, let's throw out the word mentorship and just say, we should be having collaboration. It should be okay to question everything and be a valuable part because if you if your voice can be heard, you know, that's, that's a big piece. I've left companies because though we were having meetings, voices weren't being heard, you know, and, I, I just brought a new gentleman on uh, and someone I've known for years, but he's new to this position and setting the picnic up, you know, it got to the point where I was just like, you know, cause everything was, well, why would we do it this way? And I, and I understand how exasperating that can be, but explaining it to him, Hey, it's that way because we've tried it this way. It didn't work out. And here's why, you know, these are the reasons why we've decided this is the best method. Um, And it works, right? Does it mean that he accepted it? Maybe not. But when we were done with it and he saw it work, maybe the light bulb came on. Uh, And that it leads to a lot of things. I see... uh, Again, you know, if you watch the Waterwell and, and the geotechnical Facebook pages, uh, like we were talking about, we're talking about, oh, new new employees and this, that. Oh, you can't get anybody who wants to work right now. It's not true. Right. It's not true. Uh, when I open for applications. I get. Our, we get tons of applications, so there's people who want to work. And then it's up to you to figure out who they are, right? Just because somebody's willing to take the job doesn't mean they're right for the job. I understand that. But if you can't keep those people who were willing to do the job, once you got them in a little bit and they won't stick around, it may not be their issue. If that happens, you know, more than one, a few Maybe you have to to reevaluate your approach. And, you know, I was brought up uh, pretty rough in this. And I think uh, you came through a family business, so you had to go home with the guy if you pissed him off during the day. Right. But you accepted that stuff to expect someone uh, to come in not know anything about it and uh you to be able to bark at them and tell you know 
and and not have them, especially when our our industry as a whole pays okay. It doesn't pay great, right? It pays okay. Again, we have to we have to give them the feeling that they're starting a career, and so that means that that collaboration happens. We talk to them as an equal. Uh, it doesn't mean we can't get after them when they make a mistake, but they have to have known why not to do what they did beforehand. Or you need to stop, you know, stop them. It's not, uh, I believe it, it was you, Brock, that said the difference between this generation and the last is they want to know why. And if they want to know why, tell them why. Now, Hey, I can't explain what we're doing right now because of production. When we're on the way home, on the way of whatever, we'll, I'll explain this stuff, but we got to get, get things done. They'll accept that as a why. But screaming at them, what are you, what are you dumb? Right? That may not work out. Uh, now, if you get one of my kids, I give you permission to yell at them. Uh, but chances are you're not going to get them. Uh, you know, but... It's, uh, I think our industry as a whole, and I, I know we keep coming back to this and we're like a broken record. Our industry as a whole needs to really do some self-evaluation on if, if we, you know, that top driller that's all worried about production all the time, don't send that new guy out with him. Even though he's good, maybe send him out with, with a guy who, you know, you're, you're a guy who gets something done, but is a little more laid back. Uh, if you have that, I mean, you may not have that, right? Maybe only the owner of the company to work with. But in that case, you know, the owner of the company needs to to uh, do a little evaluation of, you know, how how can I get through to this gentleman uh, in a different way than maybe the way that they were they were brought up or taught. You know, and I'm gonna. I'm going to flip our, our whole conversation on that right there. Um, so we've been off six weeks uh, because my father, as, as Jubilee was about to happen, um, I called him on uh, the week of the 26th. It was the Thursday as I was getting ready to head down to Jubilee and teach. And I wanted to talk to him about doing some water well drilling with Sonic Rig and um, looking at some uh, very, you know, two and three foot zones in a, a very hard area to get water in Southwest Michigan. We had a good conversation, but he, um, he had a stuffy nose and uh, just didn't sound good. And I said, what do you got going on, dad? And he goes, uh, it's summer allergies. And I go, you don't, you don't have summer allergies. And he goes, uh, you know what? We were, we we're working on the roof and, uh, your cousin, uh, used a leaf blower and blew off all this, uh, pollen and pine needles and stuff. And I got it. And it's just been, you know, it's just been messing with me. And I said, do you have a fever? And he said, I, I don't know. Well, he went and got tested and, um, had, COVID-19 and he'd been fighting with it for four or five days. And just like everything else in our culture of the construction industry, you know, um, 
just like we say, you know, why, why, um, I, I, I can't explain it to you right now, but you need to, you know, trust me that this is what we need to get done for the process today. And for some reason, almost two years into messing with this virus, um, we, we, as a construction industry, do a very poor job of it's just another risk that is no different than tripping or working at heights or confined space. Um, you know, it, it's not going to get me. And, um, you know, that Monday, uh, a group of men went to breakfast, like a lot of construction guys do that are in their retirement. And, uh, they went to breakfast and by that following Monday, they were all in the hospital with COVID Delta. And uh, so as I was wrapping up the Jubilee, my mother calls, and this has been four days since I had talked to him um, and goes, Hey, we're, we're taking your dad into the hospital. Um, he's, uh, he's having some issues, uh, but the hospital down the road from my house in Kalamazoo is one of the best in the country for this, though that is not, a bragging right that we should have right now. Um, and so the month of August from August 3rd to the 25th, because I was vaccinated, I got to spend that entire time in the hospital with my dad. And so um, my company let me work from his room Um also gave me a lot of grace and took, took things over and covered, covered me on things. Um, this, uh, this podcast went on pause, um, national driller, driller, you know, same thing, you know, did, did good at saying, Hey, we don't stop submitting. And, uh, I, I wanted the out. I needed to be able to talk to everybody. I talked to Dave a lot and um, education is, is the key aspect to this virus. No different than us working risky situations, us uh, understanding how we get good men and women to be able to drill production or water wells or doing it right. And it's an explanation, but there is another aspect of our industry where seniority, if that's the way they want to do it and they've done it this way for 50 plus years, you fight a little bit, just like Dave's gentleman looking at the picnic a different way. We have a routine. This routine has worked. We cover 10,000 people through this thing. Um, Sure, at some point we can have a beer and discuss it, but right now we're just going to do it the way it's been done. And um, I didn't push on my dad hard enough with uh, the educational aspect, and there's a lot of misinformation. The drilling industry, we work in unknowns. There's a lot of misinformation out there um, because we just, tribalism has said, this is why it is. Um, the fact that we will allow a project to be designed where we're going to set 16 inch casing and um, an engineering firm says we're going to run a 26 inch hole or a 28 inch hole. 
and we're wondering why why we're having production issues with being able to develop with all that gravel pack those things because we don't we don't go back and go this is the cubic feet of material we can remove versus the minimal amount of cubic feet of material um what i'm getting at is we we ask engineers that are using science and we're trying to get them to understand the unknown because it's the aspect of drilling that is the hardest part. And now we have scientists pushing us on the knowns and asking us to trust that the unknowns aren't, aren't as bad as what, what could be. And so, um, you know, my father, we got him to the hospital and I spent 10 days with him in uh, a normal COVID floor. And in Michigan, uh, if you're vaccinated and you put on all the full PPE and we, you know, Dave is a hazmat guru. And so donning and doffing PPE and understanding um, all the things. And, you know, suddenly my drilling career from understanding confined spaces to noxious gases outside of confined spaces to Dave and I hitting so many different things on COVID 15, 16 months ago. We, we like everybody in this industry is sick of it, of, of having this, but you know, Dave talking about what, can kill this fragile virus or if we're going to use a you know a hydro blaster with hot water you know where are those droplets going to go right dave remember when we talked about yeah, that? I, I do remember um you know and, and first i know privately i have publicly i like the to uh you know to give you condolences about your dad um i know privately we've talked quite a bit but but I, I think it's important to have it out there. But, um, you know, this variant, and that's what it is, is a variant, right? It's not the same thing we fought last year. This is a new thing. Um, and yet, uh, there's still a couple other new things that are coming out there as this, this virus continues to evolve into different variants. But that's the key to understand is that the variants act differently and you know they they look like anything any other living thing they look for the best way to reproduce and it's become more contagious if you're vaccinated there's a higher likelihood that, that you won't get very sick but I think it's a misnomer of people that they think vaccination means virus proof. And that's not the case. It means that virus will not make you as sick as it could. Um, I, I challenge our, our industry itself to, to go back a little bit to what you were doing before. Try to uh, you know, uh, chlorinate uh, your your tooling a little bit more, although they've discovered that it's not near surface is not as near as big of a thing as they feared it would be. Um, but masking, masking, masking. If your crews are working with customers or anybody, they're not 
always around, go back to masking. If you've stopped asking the questions or finding out if they feel sick or have a fever, make sure that you ask those questions of people. Because it at the onset, it doesn't seem any different than any other, the flu or anything else. Uh, the difference is whether you're vaccinated or not vaccinated, the viral, what they consider the viral load of the Delta variant that for, transmiss for transmissivity, right? For me to be able to give it to someone else, doesn't matter whether I'm vaccinated or vac not vaccinated. So without a mask, uh, if I'm close to somebody I haven't been around and they're not vaccinated, I'm putting them at much greater risk, even though I am vaccinated. And that's where uh, we, I think, as an industry need to understand dealing with customers, dealing with uh, people in the office that we might not always be around, uh, you know, Unless we're doing testing, just mask. So there's, yeah, there's a couple, there's a couple things. Um, we started this podcast today talking about Labor Day and it took from the Haymarket Square riot and several other things that happened across the country in the industrial revolution. And we look at all of the good men and women that died from just bad practices and not being able to take care of folks. Um, our country was booming, but in turmoil and the labor aspect had become polarized and politicized. And here we are in 2021 and a, a fragile virus that is highly contagious, but we, as of, you know, July 30th, um, you know, Pfizer had not July 30th, but uh, July 30th, they had decided that the plasma antibody treatment was far enough along. It had gotten, you know, FDA, the pre FDA approval, like what our vaccines have had. And in the middle of my dad being in the hospital, Pfizer had gotten fully FDA approved. And vaccines are 100% the key. And this shouldn't be a politicized, polarized situation. And I'll tell you what, um, I let my dad not let me fight, you know, on that and just let him, you know, I've made 20 months without getting COVID. What, you know, why do I need a vaccine? You know, look at all the side effects. And, um, I should have pushed the symptoms more because we have the triage, multiple antivirals, multiple different things we can do. But, hey, industry, listen right now. If you get anything out of this, and I'm going to clip this uh, and make it into a, a short as well. You have four to five days Right now, the Delta variant is giving people uh, stomach issues and diarrhea, along with the low-grade fever and the other symptoms. CDC has a self-checker, but you have four to five days. You can get on CVS or Walgreens and get a free test. You don't even get out of your vehicle. You can set it up in either one of the apps, and you want to do a ID now 24-hour 
or the PCR. Do not do that one hour or don't go get over the counter. You know, the reliability aspect is not there yet. Um, and I don't know if it ever will be because it takes a lab and scientists to, you know, run that culture. But if you can get tested and you're positive and you get to the hospital, it's a short stay. Or you can let it go six, seven, eight days and the inflammation in your lungs takes over and you get into the hospital and you know what? They hook you up to a, you know, tubes on a wall for breathing. You don't get to, you can still be your able body self, but now you're going to piss in a, you know, a portable urinal. You're going to have to shit in a chair that is connected to the bed because you can't get away. And the ionizing fans that are in there that they're running are so loud, you can't hear the TV. And you're, you're hooked up to oxygen that is just drying your eyes out. And the best way to beat COVID is to have dry lungs. So they teeter you on borderline dehydrated because that's what it takes. So now you're thirsty and you can't rest and you can't breathe. So then they start treating you for anxiety. And one of the big go-tos for anxiety right now, because it also helps you um, not worry so much about the, 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 the stress of the oxygen is morphine, you know, and fentanyl. And like, I, I spent 10 days and I got to talk to my dad and we, uh, we went back and forth and then they came one day and said, we're going to have to go up to the ICU and um, you're going to have to go on a breathing tube, but it's going to make your lungs get healthier and you'll, you know, you're still in this. And he was, he was fighting it. And um, on the way up in the elevator, he said to me, I thought I'd just come to the hospital and they give me the, antibodies and I get to go home and be better. And that is the biggest misinformation of this entire situation. And the fact that, you know, I got to watch my dad die in a hospital at 72, who was four and a half weeks before that bailing hay and on a roof and with horses and stuff, um, talking about getting the cable tool out to go do this lake well with some old friends because that's what they wanted to do is cable tool this in. But we blew it because we didn't get the education. I, I am 100% proud that I, I got vaccinated because I got to be with my dad and have his back. And I didn't get into conspiracy theories and that stuff and whatever could could be. From this, I'll tell you that the long lasting effects of what we know about COVID and those that uh, are still on oxygen at home or, you know, that inflammation in the lungs is is damaging and people are not coming back to 100 percent. So this ain't the flu. And uh, I hope you hear what I'm saying, regardless, you want to get the vaccine vaccine or not. You don't have a chest cold. If you're running a low-grade fever, you need to go to the hospital and get, you know, professional. Uh, well, I think it's important to uh, mention that, listen, you, you 
companies out there, make sure your employees know. If you have the sniffles, if you have anything that's outside of ordinary, report it and get tested so that you have the opportunity to uh, to get better. Um, I don't I don't think there's anything more important to, than that. And like we've talked before, right? If if we can stop the spread, which it, it, it seems ridiculous, it, back in June we were opening back up. Heck, you and I had a podcast together back in June. We thought, man, on Father's had- Day, the topic was on our dads and our impact yeah. on this industry. And we thought, hey, man, we're on the we're on the bottom side of this thing. But it had different it had different uh, it had a different path, right? This variant is spreading among people who didn't get a vaccination, but because we were opening back up, they also weren't masking, weren't doing any of the other things that we had learned early on. And, you know, in Illinois, we're back to 100% masking indoors. What we're supposed to be back to, there's not everybody really following it the way they're supposed to, but I think you're going to run into that anyway. Don't, don't allow whatever you think politically, right? Never trust your health to a politician. (laughs) Never trust your pension to a doctor, right? It. It that makes sense. Don't don't doctors don't write the laws except for in healthcare, uh, with with their lobbying what and politicians don't know a damn thing about healthcare. So, you know, if heck, don't trust a drill trainer about healthcare for that matter, because we only know what what we know that we've read. You know what I know? I know that I care about everybody in this industry. And um, <clears throat> spending, you know, 23, 24 days in a hospital as the only visitor and watching the roller coaster of going up and down and watching a man that uh, taught me everything and pushed me to be, you know, who I am in this industry, you know, diminish away. And even on the ventilator, we had a moment where we were going to come off it. And the Delta variant is doing blood clots like the last couple haven't. And the the tricks that, not tricks, the applications that the doctors had figured out coming into May and June weren't working as well with, with Delta. And uh, that was it. And I watched all these great men and women tirelessly fight to have you know have this um situation turn right and in the time from the beginning of august to end of august of being in that hospital you know the rooms did keep getting more and more and people that were on the same icu floors my dad were there one day and gone the other one being a you know a late 30 year old who ended up having a stroke because of the, the blood clots, you know? So um, we have to take this serious. 
that's the big that's the big piece here is it's not a cold you know matter of fact i want you all to think back of all of the masking mandates and um you know i ended up just recently getting like my first summer cold of which when those symptoms came up i went and got tested you know i spent 20 plus days in the hospital with PPE on, but the doctors told me at one point he had one of the highest viral counts they'd seen. Um, I did four PCR tests and two rapid tests and they all came back negative, you know, and I hugged my dad and I helped him breathe and I helped him do some other things that I didn't think I needed to have ever had to do with him. But you know, I was exposed to him. I, when the phone rang and he put it up to his ear and I put it up to my ear, I didn't have a face shield there. You know, there were, there were moments, you know, as we're in hazmat stuff and you think, did I just do that? You know, where we still, there's exposure, but I was protected. You know, it's, um, I didn't want to end our Labor Day episode on something. Well, I think this is important. was an important discussion. First off, just so that people understood the hiatus that we had, we're not going away. We're going to actually, we're, we're currently planning, uh, uh, if things are willing to, to do some things coming up, uh, this year, we might even have an, an event that, uh, that some people can come to if they'd like, but, um, we are, indebted i think uh not just this industry the country uh to the healthcare workers that that you know if anybody needed a an a light at the end of the tunnel for this thing it was them and in many places they're back where they were or beyond where they've ever been and, uh, and they're tired they're tired they're, and they're beat yeah they're they're beat we we think that, uh, you know, on the drill crew that we get a 14 hour shift and we're beat, um, you know, they don't have certain outcomes, right? We know that with, uh, a lot of times with grit and, and try hard, we can make sure that casing goes in and it's sealed right. And we, we can continue the project, uh, they don't know day to day when the new project comes in that first off, they don't have planning. Hey, here's your project. Then they got to figure it out on the fly. And, you know, sometimes the projects don't make it. Uh, sometimes the patients uh, are, are feel goods, but you know, they have to figure out how do they put, and then we are still putting 16 hour days on them now because you can't find any, they're, you know, they're stretched as far as they can stretch. And, uh, you know, uh, it, we owe them a lot. Uh, yeah. What we really owe them is to take this seriously so that we can relieve their burden. And yeah, that's, uh, that's absolutely it. And it's, you know, it's Labor Day. Um, and I hope people got to see their family and, uh, smart gatherings uh 
I had an awesome Father's Day with my dad, and I also got to have an awesome Fourth of July with my dad and my brother and my parents. Um, and uh, we hadn't gotten together like that in years, and it just happened chance that Father's Day we all ended up at a barbecue at the farm, and then Fourth of July, my brother said we're doing one at the lake and we all got there and we did fireworks together. And, um, I'm thankful for those. And I'm thankful for the time I got to, uh, so he didn't have to go at this alone, but we got to do better industry. And, uh, I know plenty of you out there are, and I know there's plenty that are on the fence and this is, uh, one of those hard topics, but I'll tell you what, um, I, beginning of August, I was coming into this with, uh, I'd sure like more people to get vaccinated, but I understand the hesitancy to, um, you really, really need to look within and understand that there's going to be two options as 2021 wraps up into 2022. And it's going to be those who are smart about the triage and, um, getting vaccinated and those who end up getting COVID and how they, they handle it. You know, that's, that's where we're going is it's uh, I heard this multiple times with the doctors in the hospital that, you know, now that there's COVID experts, we're not supposed to have COVID experts because we should have knocked this thing out and gotten past it. But the fact that they said it's going to be a choice coming and it's going to be, when do I get COVID? Or when do I get the vaccine? And, you know, all three of them have FDA approval. And there's millions upon millions of people around the world now that have had it for more than eight and 10 weeks. And so if we're thinking about side effects that way, I can tell you what, I've seen the side effects of COVID. And I'd rather have the the spin the roulette and... uh if you want to listen to the conspiracy cowards out there or somebody telling you to take uh horse warmer, I guess you should probably ask, do you want carrot or uh, apple flavored? But you know, the science is real. We convince scientists all the time to trust us about the unknown right now. That's what they're doing for us. Well, you know, I, I, I think this is a good spot for us to kind of table, table this, uh, I have this promise for for our drillcast. <laughs> I can't even speak it. Drillcast listeners is that uh, our next podcast is going to be on uh, on drilling. It's going to be on questions uh, that we're asking Jubilee and some other things. So uh, I know sometimes we we run far afield, but our industry is not just drilling wells. It's dealing with people. It is running a business, which is why we, we lean to these things, because people do not always uh, address those things. They want to talk at the shows. They want to talk about drilling and this, that. And, uh, you know, we don't always aren't we don't script this. So we really don't know. We actually we're going to talk about drilling today and it went a different direction. So uh, we will talk about drilling for the next one. And, uh, maybe. okay. It's a definite maybe for the next one. Yeah. So everybody have a great rest of your week. Be safe. 
check in on uh, those old retired cranky drillers. Um, or those ed- young cranky drillers you've got. Yep. And get educated. All right. This has been the Brock and Dave Driller Cast. Uh, as always, thanks, Dave. Um, hey, you know what, Brock? Uh, I wouldn't, there's nowhere I would rather be. Uh, on a beautiful morning than sitting here talking to you about this before I find out what my wife has planned for me today. (laughs) Awesome. Everybody have a great week. Thank you. See you later. Bye.